Thank you, thank you. How's that? Is that better? I think the first thing we're going to do is buy a new mic. Cornell's like, yes, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So, turn to your neighbor and say one love. Come on, you can say it better than that. One love. One love. Somebody said, somebody told me this, and mm, I don't know, that might get confusing. People might think one love. It's, it's exactly right. One, there aren't many types of love, there's just one love. John chapter 3, verse 16. Let me take you on this journey real quick for just a few minutes. Man, we've been waiting to do this for a long time. We started back in January. We started walking through this, and then we announced it in April, April the 12th, which was Wednesday. Now the Lord said, took me to Joshua and said, Thy servant Moses is dead. Now rise up and cross over and go to the Jordan. And he said, What NCC was and is, the vision, the old ways, the thought patterns, must die so that the birth of something new can come. Death isn't you know, Jesus stripped death of its victory lap. Can I say it like that? Jesus stripped death of the heavyweight belt title. He took death and he said, where's your sting? And where's the, where's the grave of the sting? Where's the sting of the grave? And where's the victory of death? Because there is none. Because Jesus took that. And so he took us through that process. But still, you still there still has to be a death. And death isn't easy on the flesh. But it's necessary. You know, we got a burn pile in the back of our yard, and when we scattered grass, do you want to know the place where the grass is growing the best, the greenest, the most luscious patch of grass? Where? Right where the burn pile is. We started to set everything on fire in the front yard and just let everything be ash and then spread it. Why? Because there's something about that's the victory that Jesus performed. He took the keys from death, hell, and the grave. And it is even a representation in the natural. Something dies, guess what? Something births and grows from that death. Even in the natural, it's a reflection of what he did 2,000 years ago. So we started going through that, and the Lord said, we started going through, all right, Lord, what do you want to call it? What, it? what are you calling us to do? And he said, what did I do? For God so loved the world. I want you to understand that, that one love is about God's demonstration of his love to us without anything in return whatsoever. He didn't expect anything from us. He didn't, even, he didn't even set up a stipulation for us. He demonstrated His love to us through Jesus. Now, the only stipulation is this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But the demonstration of that love was given without any strings attached. None. Then why have we preached a gospel that has been so hard for people to accept? We put stipulations on people getting born again. We put stipulations on people getting born again to the fact that we even say unless the preacher preaches the gospel, they can't be born again. But do you know that people are dreaming of Jesus over in Pakistan and in India and in Indonesia and Haiti? All the Muslim countries, all the Hindu countries, do you know they're having dreams about Jesus? And they tell me, those that I've not been over there, I want to go, but there's been a strong urge for me not to go in that area. When Brother Harold said he, he travels with a convoy of armed guards, I said, I feel the Holy Ghost leading me. 
But he said, do you know the easiest way to share your faith with a Muslim or a Hindu is to ask them have they dreamed about Jesus? Because 75% of them are having dreams about Jesus. And I said, Lord, I don't know about that. And he said, look at Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius, the Bible says in Acts, says he was a good man. And said that the, he said this in Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man at Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion, and what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man. Somebody say a devout man. He wasn't born again. I'm fixing to rock your religious mindset if it hasn't already been rocked. One who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers... And your arms have come up for a memorial before God. I didn't think that God listened to heathens' prayers. I didn't think God accepted gifts from wretched, sin-stained, non-church-going non-tithing people. I venture to say that that's not the case. He said, your prayers and your arms have come up before a memorial before God. In other words, Cornelius was such a man that he loved God, but he didn't know how to get to God. And yet, it got God's attention. That the angel of the Lord appeared to a heathen and said, God, you got God's attention. I always thought, I'm just being honest with you, transparent. I always thought in order for someone to get God's attention, they had to get it through the blood of Jesus. Was Jesus' blood shed for the sins of those that accept him? Are you sure? That he died for the sins, the Bible tells us, of those that accept him or the whole, the whole world? So if he demonstrated one love, if he demonstrated one love to us in that he gave us a gift and laid it down at our feet and said, I love you. Now whether or not you pick that up is up to you, but it doesn't change the fact that I gave it to you. And yet we still put stipulations on love. Why? Because we were raised and taught and educated in a Roman system. A law system that was governed and based off of an exchange system. You give me something, I give you something. And the exchange system as heaven is not the same. One of the verses that I'm going to read later on in John's Gospel says this. He said, Father, I pray that they will know you and that you love them just as much as you love me. In Ephesians, he said, Paul prays this, that we would know the love of God that passes knowledge. Why does it pass knowledge? Because the knowledge that you and I were created with, that we grew up with, that we were educated with, was based off of a law system. It was based off of the only way to receive something was to give something up. That's not the case. You don't give nothing up until you receive something. The gift is free. You get the gift and then you see how good this gift is and how powerful it is and you go, I don't want to drive the Toyota Corolla no more. I got a Bentley. Okay. I don't want to have that purse no more. Why would I have that purse when I've been given what? 
A Michael Kors purse? A coach purse? Come on, all right. Why would I want to shoot a BB gun when I've been given an antique $5,000 Henry rifle? Come on, somebody, all the, all the artillery men in here. Why? Well, you still wouldn't do that. But the gift that was given was given freely. And you received that gift. And then when you received that gift, oh, it's over now. Because then you realize how much He loves you. See, we've got a job on our hands. And the job is to be a right representation and an expression to this world what Christianity, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we've given the wrong impression for decades. We've given the wrong impressions for, for centuries. Just the one thing that Christianity has to its fault. We go into an area and we force people to convert. That's what happened with the Crusades. We go into these areas and it's still prevalent even now. We look at people and we condemn them when they don't believe like we do. And Jesus never did that. What did, how do I know that Jesus never did that? Because he looked at his disciples and he said, look at all these people. They are sheep without a shepherd. A shepherd doesn't go to new sheep and start beating them and saying, you follow me. A shepherd just simply shows up and begins to just shepherd people. One love. One love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, you could have the faith to move mountains. You could speak as of the oracles of God. You could have all wisdom and all knowledge. But if you don't have love, you don't have a daggum thing. That's pretty powerful. I love faith. I believe the just shall live by faith. I believe we walk by faith, not by sight. I believe we are to live our lives by faith. But you can have all the faith in the world, and if you don't have any love, you don't have nothing. Don't talk to me about what you can believe God for when I see your life and it's not lived by love. We look at people who are sinning and we look down on them with the scorn of judgmental hypocrisy, religious talk, and we wonder why people don't want to come to church. Because when they show up and we ask them, come as you are, and when they show up, we as a religious institution criticize them. Let me make one thing perfectly clear. One Love City Church is not a religious organization. Now, in the eyes of the government, we may be. I don't want religion. You know why? Because Jesus said your religion makes the word of God of no effect. I don't know about you, but I want the word of God to be effective in my life. We're not a religious institution. We're a family. We're a group of people who are followers of Jesus. That's what we are. That's what we're going to be. Turn to your neighbor and say, go and be. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. This is what I was trying to get to a while ago. For in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith worketh through love. It does, none of that stuff matters if you don't have love. You can, have, you can have all the food on the table you want, but if you don't season it, it don't, it don't taste good. People say, would you like a glass of sweet tea? I sure would, thank you. You go up north and they give you a glass of sweet tea and you go, I don't know what this is, but this ain't sweet tea. Lemon. I don't want lemon. I want sugar. Lots and lots of sugar in my tea. Why? Because why would you drink tea without sugar? You might as well just drink water. Thank you for that one amen. Bren Bren, would, it was in here, she would amen me because she likes sweet tea too. Faith worketh 
true love. Then he goes on to say, he said, You ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persecution does not come from him who calls you. This persecution does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We've been tested already. We hadn't even birthed. I mean, technically this is like a sonogram, so I'm showing you what the baby looks like. But when we birth, the, the, the very first act that I believe that the Lord is calling us to do as one love is really a demonstration of one love. You know, we've, we've been negotiating with a group of people that want to buy the church and just as quick as we have the contract signed, I'll announce it to you and we'll talk about it. But listen to me. One love means one love. Jesus never walked anywhere and criticized anybody for what they believed. He criticized and judged, put judgment on the religious people because they were the ones that were suffocating the very life and breath and essence of the gospel. You know, Jesus demonstrated one love to such a degree that he absolutely slaughtered. You know what that word means? Slaughtered religious and cultural mindsets. To such a degree where he would talk to a woman at the well that was culturally, oh, you didn't do that. Peter was hungry. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was hungry. And he, he fell as the Lord caused a deep sleep, a trance to come over. And he had a vision. And he had a vision. I don't know about you, but picture this. You're, you're hungry, but you're, you're having a vision. And all of a sudden, this huge, beautiful white cloth comes down. And on top of that cloth is all kind of just meat and food. It's just one of, you know, whatever. Plates and plates of bacon and pork ribs and chitlins. Fat back. And he lays it at Peter's feet. Because God knows where you're at. You don't have to tell God you're hungry. He knows. <laughs> he knows where you're at. You don't have to tell God that you got religiousness in you. He knows. So he lays this at Peter's feet and he says, take and eat. And you know what Peter did being the astute follower of Jesus that he is? I mean, I don't know about you, but if Jesus told me to eat something... I want to eat it. You, all these people that follow, you know, that's not healthy, it didn't have any kale in it or ginger. Listen, God just delivered me some fat back. I'm going to eat. He told me to eat. I'm going to eat. But Peter, being the astute disciple of Jesus that he is, said, oh, no, nothing unclean has ever touched me. I've never said a cuss word, ever. I won't eat with heathens. I'm not going to sell my car to somebody who don't believe in Jesus. That's what Peter was saying. Peter said, oh no. I don't eat. Nothing unclean has ever touched these lips. And this is what... Now mind you, this is the Lord now. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Everybody says, well, how do you know it's the Lord? If you're in a trance and a vision and the Lord shows up, you really, you, you're not going to, it's not denying. You're not going to have to ask somebody, is that Jesus? No. They knew Jesus was walking on the water. They knew Jesus was out there in the storm. Why? Because nobody else would walk on the water. Especially in a storm, because it's easier to walk on water when there's no storm, right? So then he says this, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. I mean, that's even better. You get to kill it and then eat it. That was for all the guys. They love, we just want to kill something and eat it. But Peter said, No, Lord. See, he knew who he was talking to. For I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Verse 15 of chapter 10 and a voice spoke to him again 
The second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Actually, it says what God has declared clean. I like that better. You know, cleansed, you know, but when God says, I declare it clean, it don't have to be cleansed. It just got cleansed because he declared it. He said, what I've declared clean, you must not call common. This was done three times. Boy, that Peter, he gets it the first time every time, don't he? Three times. One love. God said, now why did he do that to Peter? Why did he say that to Peter? Because Peter was fixing to get ready to go into someone's house and eat dinner with them who was unclean. That was culturally, listen to me, culturally a no-no. Listen, back in the segregation days, a black man or a black woman didn't eat with a white family. Can you believe that? How many of you have kids that are under the age of 12 in here? Raise your hand. My kids, I don't know about your kids, but the kids that I know, they don't even look at somebody's skin color. That's not even a factor in their decision-making process. The only factor in their decision-making process is whether or not mama and daddy says it's okay for you to play with those kids. It never even factors into their mind. They look at that and they celebrate the diversity. That's one love. We're raising an entire generation that doesn't have the shackles of weight that we had to carry growing up, coming from those, from those times. We have an entire generation that doesn't see color. They don't even see culture. They celebrate it. Uh, Papa Bill, I don't know, it's about a month ago, I guess, he had a word that the Lord said to him. He said, son, because you know when God always talks to Papa, he says, son. He says, son, do you know when you get to heavens, there's going to be Romans. There's going to be Vikings. There's going to be Navy SEALs. I've got to be careful how I say this. There's going to be men and women that didn't always obey the natural laws, but they got born again. Can I say it like that? And y'all just pick up what I'm laying down without me having to lay down anymore. There's going to be people in heaven that had multiple friendships. Can I lay it down like that? Every race, every gender, every color, every age, every age from the, age, from the beginning of age to the, till Jesus comes back, every culture. And we're going to show up and think Jesus is white. No. He's not white. White people just hadn't been in the sun long enough. That's all. We all come from the same blood. I said we all come from the same blood. Thank you. John 13. Yes. John 13. Listen, we were all created in the same image. Somehow, someway, I believe when we see him, he's going to look like all of us. You're going to be like, hmm, man, you look like, you, I can't even say you look like a white person, a black person, an Asian person, a Muslim, a Hindu, Roman, Greek, Viking, all mixed into one. You look so good, God. And he goes, no, you look good. John 13, 35 I want you to see this, John chapter 13, verse 35. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, one love. John 13, 35. By this, you ready? Underline it. Get ready. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Have the faith that can move mountains. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you pull out your iPhone and there's a cross screensaver. That's how they're going to know. They're going to know that you're my disciple because their phone lets them know when you do the little Bible app memory verse every day. And they go, Inez just completed section 5 of how to be a Christian. 
By this, all men will know that you are my disciple because you post five or six times a day on Instagram scripture verses and smiley faces. That's how they're going to know. By this, all men will know that you are my disciple. If you have what? One translation says, I've been liking the voice. Anybody heard the voice translation? It's really good. It says, for your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. One another. The world doesn't care what we know. The world doesn't care what we say. They only care about what we express. They're worldly. Well, they should care. You know, bless God, if they want to come to church, they know where we are. No, no he didn't say go into all the world and tell them where you're going to be. <laughs> he didn't in Matthew chapter 18. He said, go into all the world and what? Make disciples. You don't make disciples in church. Look around you. I would venture to say that most people in this room today are Christians. Some of you have been coming longer than others. Some of you have been walking with the Lord longer than others. How many people are you discipling? Just, it's all right. Just wipe off your feet. It's okay. By this, all men will know that you one love. Not that you preach, not that you teach, not that you have the anointing, not that you can draw a crowd, not that you can take up an offering, not that you can travel, not that you can help and show in Instagram and Facebook, none of that. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I've got people in my life that the only reason they listen to me is because they know I love them. And they've seen that track record in my life. And the people that I have the hardest time speaking to are really, you want to know the truth? Religious people. Give me sinners all day long. Because all they want is somebody to love them. That's all. But don't give me no religious people. I tend to make them mad. Religious folk. I don't necessarily try. No, I can't say that. I do try to. I try to make them mad. Because religion stifles the love of God, that expression, it stifles it. The Bible says, Jesus said in one place, he said that the Pharisees stood up and said, Oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these people. And the Bible said, listen, the Bible says that he prayed thus with himself. I don't have time for religious people. Why? Because they, they're just praying with themselves. I want somebody who can connect with God. People in this world, people in this city, listen to me, people in this city are wanting somebody who can reach out and touch God for them. There was, I was coming out of the, uh, the doctor's office the other day because I had to take some stuff up there for him for uh, a visit we had or whatever. And as I was coming down, this guy in the elevator, he must have been, I don't know, 70 he looked like he looked like they had just revived him and warmed him up a little bit and pulled him off the table and sent him home. I mean, he looked rough. And his wife was sitting there. And uh, so we were going down the elevator. And I'm always just trying to strike up conversation with people. I mean, the FedEx guy was like, man, I bet y'all been busy, ain't you? He was like, yeah, because, you know, you can throw out a little bait. And if somebody chomps, boy, you can really get in there but if you go man y'all been busy haven't you and they go mm-hmm okay well maybe he's not ready you know but sometimes people you just throw bait out there and you go boy it's been a hot day boy I tell you what it's been so hot I tell you my wife left me the other day and I just I mean they'll open up to you and so this this gentleman was in the elevator and I said I said well how y'all doing he said well I feel like I've been beat on I said well you don't need to come to the doctor then if they're gonna beat on you and he said, no, they had to work out and massage my neck or whatever because I had a pulled something. And I was like, I wanted to say, well, what's wrong with the rest of you? Because you look like you are on the verge. I mean, I'm serious, guys. I've not seen anybody that pale before. I mean, I was in the emergency room. I was in the hospital room with my dad when, 
when he had his situation going on with his lungs, he got pale. This guy made him look like he was, you know, Italian. I mean, it was, he was bad looking. And I said, oh, good Lord, Jesus. I was like, Lord, what you want me to do? He said, well, just pray for the man. You got power in you. I said, that's right, I'm going to release some power. And so we're walking out, and I said, do you mind? I said, do you mind if I just pray for you? He was like, by all means. And he just bowed his head like that. And so she was walking in front of him, and I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And he was like, by all means, son, go ahead. He clubbed by to say hello. And I put my hand on his shoulder, and the woman just stood there like this. We were standing by there, and she wouldn't even look at it. Now listen, I've been doing this for a long time, and I don't remember one time ever having somebody react like that. I don't think I've ever had anybody turn me down for prayer. Maybe I ain't asking enough people. Pay no attention to that voice. That's the voice of a mother. But I don't remember ever having that kind of a... Now, I've had people stand off before, but usually when you ask somebody, can I pray for you, they usually, yes. They may be a little nervous, but they, this woman, she just stood like this. She would, I mean, she would not look at us. We were standing right there, and I just said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just release power into his body. I didn't ask the man if he was saved. To be honest, I don't think God really cared. Because you get the man healed, you need to get him saved. I used to not give people money on the side of the road without, you know, giving them a test. If you got a job, you love Jesus, you've been to church, when's the last time you went to church? You go down that list and I thought, oh, Jesus never did that. Jesus just showed up and healed people. And provided for them. One love. One city. You ready for this one? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. One love, one city. So what one love church is about. One city. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in what? Where were they at? They were in Jerusalem. You can't be, you can't expect God to give you a worldwide ministry if you don't even speak in the block where you live. We can't expect, listen to me, we can't expect God to fill this church up if we won't even go to Walmart and ask people to come. We can't expect God to do something when he has strictly and, and, and given us a proper order to do it. You know how people are going to come? They're going to come because you invite them. Not because of me, necessarily. I mean, there's going to be people that are going to come in. Because, I mean, listen to me. When we launch One Love, we are absolutely going to blanket the city. People are going to be tired of seeing One Love. Because that's what we believe God's called us to do. Do you know um, 85% of people that live in the, in the surrounding counties of Tifton, Tifton County, Tiff County, 85 to 90% of them don't even go to church? You could have five services a Sunday in this building with a thousand people and you wouldn't even put a dent in that many people. That's how many people need Jesus. See, the power that we've been given, this, this anointing that we've been given, this great one love city church that we've been given is for the city, not for the church. This morning, I heard this phrase, and I'm going to try to get it right. He said, you don't come to church to get excited. You come to church to get equipped. I'm not announcing this so you can say, woohoo, and you can go home and memorize what we're supposed to be doing. I'm saying this to you and to us so that you can go out and do. I'm trying to equip you. 
I'm endeavoring to equip you to be ready to deal with the person that you come in contact with on the elevator at the doctor's office so you can be the expression of one love in this city. One city. The, the verse that the Lord gave me was Isaiah chapter 26, verse 1. He said, in that day, somebody say, this is the day. This song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. I mean, Tipton's called the friendly city. Do we live up to that name? Not always. Listen, if you're not comfortable with being uncomfortable, you probably won't like One Love City Church. We're going to do things that are going to be uncomfortable. We're going to do things that are going to be hard. God's already given us a mandate and said, you're going to have to do things that other churches haven't done, and you're going to have to break the ice. Building bridges. See, One Love City Church is about one love, one city. He told us to go into all the world. See, part of the world is social media. Churches haven't done that well. Part of the world is your neighborhoods and your, your, your you know, there's a church in California, Bethel Church, they gave half a million dollars to the local police department because they were hurting for funds. I, I, I want to do that. You want to give half a million dollars? Mm-hmm. Sure do. Well, I don't know if there's that much money in Tiff County. You need to get out more. There's more money than you think there is out there. The world wants you to think there isn't enough. But I don't know about you, where you come from, but my home, my hometown, my home city, um, we use gold as asphalt. That's where we. That kind of went over, you know, and then kind of fell. It didn't quite get the loft. You've been lied to. Broke is not a beatitude. Rich is not a four-letter dirty word. If you're going to have influence in the world, you've got to have resources. And you've got to have money. And the enemy has really duped the church into thinking that they can do what they're called to do without money. And everything revolves around money. And God wants you to know that He wants you so blessed that you don't ever think about the price of gas. He wants you so blessed that you don't ever think about how you're going to buy your next house or how you're going to buy your next car. He wants you so blessed that when you hear of a need, you just meet it. He wants you, He's already paid for you to be so blessed that when you hear of someone that's got an outrageous bill that needs to be paid you don't even flinch you just take care of it and they don't ever know about it somebody loses their job you just give you know money to someone to give to them we've had that happen that's listen God wants you so blessed that the numbers that stagger most Americans you don't ever you don't it doesn't even stagger you that's the mentality that he's trying, he's trying to create in you a child like, my children, they've just now started to ask how much does that cost? But I think they're just doing that to be courteous. They really don't care. Do you care how much it costs? No. She sees something, she wants it. Oh, well, that's just, oh. Listen, I, I know rich kids and I know broke kids. And both kids, both sets of kids, if you don't train them right, they're both spoiled. Money doesn't spoil people. Parents spoil people. The world has lied to us. You're going to have influence in the city. You're going to have to have resources. 
You're going to tell me that Bethel Church doesn't have a voice into that police department after they give them a half a million dollars? No strings attached? One love, one city, one church. He's coming back for how many churches? God doesn't see race. He doesn't see color. He doesn't see religion. He sees his people. Not denominations. He's coming back for a body of Christ that's going to be unified together. And here's my question. What I've started to see is I've started to see over the last five years denominations and non-denominations. And it's amazing because you'll see people minister together. That you, 15 years ago, you wouldn't see that. 15 years ago, a Baptist church would have never asked Joyce Meyer to come preach. And I'll tell you something else. Rabbi Zacharias, who's one of the foremost apologists in the world, who's Indian, he preaches in mosques and Muslim temples and Jewish temples all over the world. You didn't see that 20 years ago. I'm ready for my invitation, aren't you? Me and you. Invite me. I don't even have to say Jesus. Why would I have to just show up and manifest his presence? And then he just appears in front of everybody. We know what he looks like because we were created in his image. Romans chapter 12 verse 5. So we who are many are one body. Turn to your neighbor and say one body. And individually members of one another. He's coming back for one church. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to bridge that gap. But I know it starts with a mentality of not seeing each other as competition. Seeing each other as members. I was talking to somebody the other day and was talking about, you know, do y'all dip or do y'all sprinkle? And I said, we just like to get wet. Does it really matter? Do y'all speak in tongues? Or not speaking tongues. Does it really matter? Did Jesus speak in tongues? Can we just focus on Jesus? And then we'll talk about tongues later? Anything he can use to try to divide us, that's what he's going to use. It's exactly what he's going to use. Anything he can get his hands on, he's going to try to divide us. Don't let him. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 says, But now there are many members, but one. Ephesians 4, 4, There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling. One body, one spirit, one hope. Let the peace of God, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. Let me close with this. One Love City Church isn't about you being perfect. It's not about you saying the right things. It's not about you doing what's traditional. One of the reasons why I'm so glad we're selling this building, well, two reasons. You know, number one, we use the proceeds to pay cash for where we're going. But the other thing is there's, there's, there's a level of constriction that takes place in here because it's familiar, because it's comfortable. We're, where are we going to go? I, I don't know. It's going to take faith for us to get there. But me and Langston were talking the other day, and I said, you know, we're going to have to do, you know, renovations and, you know, whatever building we buy, we're going to have to make it our own and, Listen, we're not going to put all of our money. We're not going to put all the money into the building. We're not going to put all. Yes, amen, Cornell, don't shout me. Wave me down. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're going to do things with excellence. And we're going to make it pretty and attractive. But I want to use, we're going to use our resources, your tithes, your offerings. We're going to use our resources to have the greatest impact that we can to go ye. We're not putting the resources to come ye. We're putting the resources to go ye. I'm going to say that again. 
We're going to take the resources and we're going to go ye. We're going to have a place for them to come ye, but they don't come ye unless you go ye. Uh, we, we met as leaders uh, Friday night, and I said, I, I, I said you know, we, we've probably, I'm just going to go ahead and let you know, get you ready. We're probably going to have to be out of here in less than 60 days. And everybody said, hmm. We may have to meet in the school gym. How many of you are born again? Raise your hand. Look at all these volunteers to set up and break down chairs. Get the, get, write them down. We may, have to be, we may have to set up chairs, set up the sound system, do our service, two services, three services, whatever, and then break down and do it again next Sunday. We may have to do that until we find a place. We may have to meet with sheetrock hanging off the walls and paint everywhere because we're in the process. But that's not what it's about. It's about one love, one church, one city. We're going to put our resources where they have the greatest impact, which is getting that word out, getting you out, getting us out of this comfort zone. While you're waiting on your breakthrough, someone else is having a breakdown. We don't, I don't have time for you to get right. People out there are breaking down. They need what's inside of you. I, I don't have time for you to get ready. You're ready. People out there need what you got. Earl, well, I don't have time for you to get, to get right, to get ready, to get prepared, to get distracted. We don't have time. People are drowning. Just get out there and we'll figure out how we're going to get them in the boat later. You hear what I'm saying? We don't have time for you to put a five-point strategic plan together. We don't have time for that. When they didn't gather the people around when, when, it was the, when, when the Titanic started sinking. They didn't gather people around and go, okay, let's somebody draw up the blueprints. Somebody come up with a plan. No. We just got to call audibles at the line. The world is hurting. So I'm going to say this and then we'll close, okay? I'm going to say this and then we'll close. Maybe. I think sometimes the best thing for Christians is to get their minds off of themselves and get them on somebody else. You are so focused. We, I'll say we, we are so focused on ourselves well, I can't do this, and I can't buy this, and I can't have this. And people out there still don't have power. You know, the, the Jenkins, y'all went, what, five days? Six days without power. You, you try feeding all these people. They're like their own church. We did it twice, yeah. Listen, I could tell you on day number two, they weren't thinking about, well, when are we going to go shopping again? Day three, they weren't thinking, you know, I'd like to have a latte. Day four, day, I guarantee you, day four, me and Joel were strategizing, all right, if this thing goes any longer, we're going to have to start killing stuff and hanging it out to dry and eat. We're going to have to start grilling. You know what I'm saying? Day five comes, and at that day five, everybody's just stinking and tired, and you're just fed up with it. We don't have time to wait. We've waited long enough. You're waiting for your breakthrough, but somebody else is breaking down. Why not just take your attention off yourself and help somebody else? You are their breakthrough, and your breakthrough will manifest when you and I get our attention off of ourselves and get it on the world, the people that are around you, I'm telling you, we're missing opportunities left and right every single day. We are so self-conscious. One Love City Church is not going to be self-centered. I'm asking you to hold me accountable because you know darn sure, good and well, I'm going to hold you accountable. We're not going to be focused on the church. We're going to be focused on the city. We're going to be focused on showing and demonstrating one love. They had all these, you know, when the disaster hit, I saw a church take semi-truck load trailers full of supplies. And I said, Lord, I want to do that. I mean, all we could offer was a shower. 
want to do that. We want to build a place on our land where we can just do nothing but house missionaries and people when they're in that kind of situation and not, not expect them, anything from them. Feed them, pay for everything, give them a car to drive. I want to do that as a church. I want to give just ridiculous stuff away to people. Next time there's an event like that happens, I won't be able to come bring a trailer and we just stamp one love on it and fill it up and take it to them. That's what I want to do. That's what we want to do. I got news for you. We don't want to, we don't want to give 10%. We don't want to give 20%. We don't want to give 30 I want to give, one day I want to be at the place where we get half of what we bring in away. Half. I mean, if you're making $17 million a year, half, I mean, you think you could do pretty good on half? You see what I'm saying? Half of $40,000 is 20. That's a lot. But if God increases you to such a degree where you make two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 a year, I'm trying to stretch your mind. Right here at the end, I'm trying to give you something to chew on while you go eat. You can't demonstrate one love. We can't demonstrate one love if, if we're broke. God's not calling us to be broke. He's calling us. He's asking us if you will be that expression, if you will be that demonstration, the resources will come. He'll make sure of it. The eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro to see who He may what? Trust. Stand with me. Week to week, we'll have updates. We'll let you know where we're at, what we're doing, how everything is progressing. But in the meantime, be in agreement with us. We need a place to land, either temporary or permanent. But that's secondary, really. The primary thing is to be that expression, to be that demonstration of one love. To get this message, not just to get this word out, to get this message out, but to be the word, to be that expression. I think sometimes we focus too much on doing church that we forget to just be the church. We forget to just be the church. Amen. Where's Casey? Casey, come pray for us and dismiss us. Share your heart, whatever. You know, it's not it's not hard to uh, to show people the love of God if it if God has impacted your life in such a way it should be easy to just say let me tell you what God's done for me you know I don't know what you're going through I don't know what you're facing but when I was facing this this is what God done for me Jesus brought me up out of whatever it is and just be a friend just just show people that you care um I'm fortunate every day to go in people's houses that that really don't put Jesus first. Some of them just say they do. Some of them, you know, they have their little stuff on the walls. And and I asked them, I said, do y'all really, do you believe what you got on your wall? Do you do you speak those words every day? And, and then, you know, the conversation goes on from there. I've had opportunities to pray for people, for their bodies. Just, you know, my job allowing me to spread the gospel just just spreading jesus wherever i go and 
there's people that'll come up to where my wife works and talk to her, and they see her last name is Spearman, and they'll say, well, do you know so-and-so? Yeah, that's my husband. Well, he kind of done some tile work for us. But while he was there, he prayed, he prayed for me. He prayed for my son. He prayed, my son was going through a hard time, and he prayed for my son and his wife. They remember that more than they do the work that I've done for them because people are hurting. People are hurting. And the only thing that is going to fix it permanently is the love of God, the power of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And we all go through things. We all have concerns, family, whatever it may be, health, finances. But just like the pastor said, if you take your mind off yourself and put it on others, you will see how your situation will turn around at the same time. It's just because God said, he told me, if you help me take care of my business, I'll help you take care of yours. And I have to remind myself that every day. If we help him take care of his business, he'll help us take care of ours. And Gio, he needs you. Miss Geneva, he needs you. Kevin, he needs you. Joel, he needs you. What that grain of wheat falling to the ground and dying and something birthing up, that's not this building. That's, that's everybody standing in here right now. That's that fruit of that thing falling to the ground and dying and something new coming out of it. The fruit, this is the fruit, the body. And the body's taking the next step, going to another level. And when we get to that level, guess what? We're going to go to another level. When we get to that level, we're going to go to another level until Jesus comes back for this body, for his body, for one body. So just, God knows your needs. He knows them before you ever have need of them. They've already been met. You just have to open that door and walk in that thing. But at the same time, don't let these distractions and these things that bog us down get in the way from being a blessing to somebody else that's, that's fixing to fall apart. Just keep our minds on the needs of others and not so much on ourselves all the time. So, Father, I just thank you that you first loved me so much that you sent your Son that none should be lost. And, Father, that's the message, Lord, that we need to just burn on our hearts, Father, and just be permanent in our minds, Father, to, to just spread that word of hope that there's no reason for you to go through this, that there has been a way already provided. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, for this is the day you have made, and we will rejoice, and we will be glad in it. And tomorrow we will rejoice and be glad in it. And the next day we will rejoice and be glad in it because we know that, Father, we have been called to this place for such a time as this. Every one of us here, nobody here today is insignificant. Everybody is important to spread that message of love, to spread that message of hope, that message of salvation. I see people getting out of wheelchairs. I see people's scales dropping off of people's eyes that never could see. I see people walking the streets, being millionaires, owning businesses, and just giving their money to God. I see legs being grown back out that were never was one. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you have called us, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us. And Father, I just plead the blood of Jesus. 
over everybody here right now. I plead the blood of Jesus over their thought life that no garbage in, no garbage in. Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over their hearts, over their bodies. Father, over their families, over their children, over their children's children, I plead your blood right now. And I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Father, that you have laid before us. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.